Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, the executive pastor here at Conduit Church, along with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and our special guest, Fuan Masri, who is a fellow conduit, um, but has an incredible ministry um, to Muslims specifically, and just got back from Europe. And his organization is called The Crescent Project. Fuad, thanks for being here, first of all, especially given the timing of everything that's happening across the world. We felt like it would be uh, it would be prudent, it would be important to have your insight into this conversation, especially for as as much as you are involved in that community and being from Lebanon. Yes, yes. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your ministry and where you're from, and how did you how did you end up in Nashville? Sure, sure. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Darren. Great to be with you today. You know, it, it's always a joy when believers get together because we have a hope. That hope is our name is written in the book of life. Jesus saves us. He came to give us new life and life abundant. Uh, the Christian Project believes that every Muslim should have the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ, whether yes or no. And maybe this mess we see in the Middle East is another proof that we live in a broken uh, world, a broken uh, uh, society. We live in a time where religion is used to kill more people instead looking at religion as a hope. And that's what the beauty about Jesus. Jesus did not come to give us religion. He gave us a relationship. So I got saved in Lebanon. My mom is Syrian and my dad is Lebanese. So during the Lebanese civil war, you know, usually you see the jets, Israeli jets. My cousins were fighting on the Golan. I was a young teenager. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, okay, the Jewish people are enemies. Then the civil war started and the Palestinian militia, they used to be called the PLO, Killed my best friend, Walid at age 18. He wasn't a fighter. I was just walking on a Saturday morning. They killed him. And he was a good friend. We played soccer and together for three years. So that added my hate to the Palestinians. Mm. Wow. And then we had the Iranian mercenaries. They had, you know, so my heart was filled with hate, anger, murder. He did not care for people. And uh, somebody asked me a question. If I die tomorrow, where I go? And I said, I really don't believe in God. And his answer was, whoops, it's too late because everybody will die. And that started a search where I uh, examined certain teachings. And the thing that I would like to share with everybody that changed my heart was when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others what you to do unto you. But then the idea of love your enemies. And Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? And that was powerful. And through a series of events, I made a decision, went to my room, knelt by my bed, and I prayed a prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin of hate. The more there's war, I want to be a soldier of peace. And the reason I always like to start there because I got up from my prayer time and God changed my heart, started praying for Jewish people. I knew no Jewish person in Beirut, but I started praying for them. I, Palestinians, Arafat, the head of the PLO, used to drive behind my house. Every night, really? from 1975 to 1982, with his tanks, with his jeeps, you know. It so was, was this in the 70s? 70s, 80s. The war, the, in 1982 invasion of the Israelis to Beirut, that ended what we know as the PLO. And uh, 
But all this time, from 75 to 82, they passed right beside our apartment wow. building. And the reason I'm sharing this is that God changes your heart. And the message of Jesus is not about, you know, who should be killing who. The message is that love will break the bur- the walls, and then we are all invited to the table. Jesus says something very powerful. He says, they will come from the east and the west and sit on the table. This idea that uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, we are in a family. It's no longer based on race, religion, you know, political view. We are saved and we are now part of the family. Yeah, it would change your value system, absolutely. So that's that's our message. For us as a ministry, we've, we're doing a lot of ministries in, with college students, with refugees, with relief work, with uh, women outreach. We do multiple things. We do digital outreach, and that's also taken us to at least 96 countries. And you started, when did Crescent Project start? 1993. I thought we'll just be a kind of United States ministry. Right. But God is so good, we're in other countries. But we started by saying, let's cross the street and talk to Muslims next door. Yes, I was in eight cities in seven days. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm 52 and I wish I had your energy, man. Like... Yeah. It's olive oil. brutal. It's <laughs> olive oil. Is that what it is? It's the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> no, thank you. We praise the Lord. I mean, God is, um, you know, my sweet wife's like, honey, we're going to serve Jesus until we cannot serve Jesus. So health wise. But uh, the key, the key for the trip was to see what God is doing through outreach to the immigrants. We have Syrians, Iraqis, uh, Afghan, uh, Iranians, you have also the influx from North Africa, Moroccans, Algerians, Tunisians, Libyans. So a couple of things we noticed, uh, there's a lot of openness among uh, certain people groups. Uh, I was uh, in Stockholm, Sweden for the first time. They had just baptized uh, Iranians about five days before I got there. Um, wow. we, Iranians and... It was just... Oh, wow. And I, I was... The uh, last church I visited was this gentleman, his name is Ali Riza, shook my hand. Uh, he gave his name another name because he doesn't like the name Ali Riza. But he said, I, I just came to Austria and I decided to read the Bible and discovered that Jesus is so much different than any other leader. And I want to dedicate my life to follow him. So there's a lot of openness. We are seeing some riots. When I was there, there were some riots and marshes. Um, in Austria, there were some claims and in Germany about, you know, killing every Jew they see, or another slogan was from the river to the sea, we want to kill every Jewish. So the police was asking that, you know, they rounded up some people and they, Europe is going to have a problem because in 1939, in the 40s, that was the anti-Semitic of the Nazi influence and there were a lot of massacres. So they probably don't want to go back to those days. But there's going to be a clash of cultures. The other thing I did is I met with leaders of mission agencies and pastors and asked them, are they seeing the clash of cultures helping the gospel or hindering the gospel? That's a great question. Say that again. Uh, is, is the clash of cultures helping people hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, or is it building a barrier for that? Yeah. Well, the, the 90% of the response was, no, it's helping the gospel because the message of Jesus is so different. Uh, one Kurdish uh, believer who's involved with us, uh, on their Facebook, they put, be different, love your enemies. Because wow. everybody says, hate your enemies. So it's amazing how the message of Christ, of love, of change, of salvation, that we're all sinners. There, there are no people who are sinless. We're all sinners. And he can save us. 
So that was the trip, and the, for me, it kind of gave me a shot in the arm, like, yes, we are doing the right thing. Christ saves lives. You grew up in Beirut. Um, was it Beirut, or is that... Uh, no, sorry. Beirut. Okay, Beirut. Was, to be exact, it was called West Beirut. They split the city. Yeah. I grew up three blocks from the American University of Beirut. Oh. So in 1983... Three. Yep. Uh, were you born that year, Mo? I was three years old. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, there was a there, uh, there was a terrorist bombing of yes. our military. In fact, one of our longtime friends, Carol Weaver, a uh, friend of my family for years and years and years. Her husband was one of the Marines stationed there and lost his life that oh. day. Um, so you would? How old would you have been in nineteen? I just graduated and moved back from the states. I was twenty three, and uh, so I you woke were up in the states. I woke up. We our house is. Less than five minutes by car. It shook the whole building. I was wondering, if it, yeah, you yeah. could feel it like from an explosion and then that the size. The second explosion was on the other side of our house with the French barracks. In the French barracks, they uh, they put dynamite in a, like a cistern and uh, like a uh, okay, those trucks that carry mm-hmm. fuel. So nobody knew that there was dynamite in there. With the Marine barracks, they uh, they uh, I have friends who went there before. Just they had a Christian band. They did a show for. Is there were no dragon teeth, and dragon teeth were these blocks you put so nobody can come through. Um, part of the issue there is the Marines were sent as a peacekeeping, but slowly the mass are falling. That The idea that Islam is a peaceful religion, that's not true. I mean, even today, right now, I was in Europe, there were people calling for jihad. My question is, if Islam is a peaceful religion and jihad does not mean holy war, what are we calling for? So... Mm-hmm. Today's situation, the masks are falling, and our challenge for believers is to separate Islam from Muslims. What I mean by that, Muslims are, most of them, nominal. They don't know their religion. As they dig deeper, like you said, they get more involved that jihad is the only way to assure salvation. Jihad is the only way to kill the enemies of Islam. So you see more militancy. But for us, when we see a Muslim, it's our turn to show love, build bridges, talk about Jesus, but Islam has like this idea of Islamophobia. Well, how can the imam of the head imam of Iran ask for people to kill Jewish people? Like, you know, yeah. not, he's not saying kill the soldiers. He's saying kill somebody who's just been born in a Jewish family. How would you feel if the pastor says it's time to kill all Shia Muslims? Or how would you yeah, feel? If I, I stood up this Sunday, right, yeah. and declared Christian jihad. Uh, I mean, I would appropriately be excoriated, <laughs> yeah. right, on social oh, yeah. media and possibly arrested. But for some reason, you know, the, the leader of uh, current leader of Hamas, who is calling for that same thing, is living pretty luxuriously in, in Doha. Qatar. Yeah, like in Doha. Qatar, yeah. You know, we're like, what, what, what? you know, any. I mean, it's like literally, we had when you think about Osama bin Laden. I mean, he hid in Pakistan. Now, mm-hmm. there's an argument to be made that they they knew it and they were whatever. But he wasn't like just openly like tweeting, you know, f- from Islam. Like he was hiding. But this the Hamas guy, like he's literally hanging out in a hotel in Qatar with his boys, with his sons. Yeah. And the fun part was on social media, going around uh, a picture of him and his sons in this beautiful place, saying, "Don't worry, I'm with you. I'm here enjoying a luxurious hotel." So it, people are seeing the hypocrisy, but. Uh, I think what's happening for us as believers now, we know it's heightened. The gospel, there's an urgency for it. Like I was going to say like never before, but Amen. like it was meant from the beginning. Amen. That I, I remember having, I, I probably shouldn't say his name, uh, with a pretty high level of whatever official, um, 
and he was saying to me that the, the, one of the things about the, the importance of the church globally is that we cannot bomb an ideology out of somebody. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a time for war, um, a time to defend your nation. But the purpose of the church is that it, that the ideology, it's why anti-Semitism didn't get squished when Hitler got squished, because it's an ideology. And I would say, and I think I can make a fairly compelling case, that it's from the pit of hell. It, it doesn't, whether it's got Islamic face or a German face or an American face, it's still it's, from, the, it's pit from yeah. the pit of hell, as is any identity politics in general. Um, l- let me jump back on something, because I want to ask you, 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 so you grew up in, in Beirut. Hezbollah is a name that people would know now. Um, and I have, you and I both, we have dear friends that live in Beirut. Um, shockingly open to the gospel in, in Lebanon. Like, like we couldn't start a church in Morocco, but you could in Lebanon. I, my friends have got a Bible school there, right? So, but Hezbollah is north, okay? So if Israel... The northern border, Golan Heights, that's where Hezbollah is. Obviously, Hamas is in the south. But can you start with who is Hezbollah and what, how are they different from Hamas uh, and, and what are their objectives right now? Um, if I can just briefly share something. Uh, there was a war in 656 AD among Muslims. It was the first civil war. And Ali, the first cousin of Muhammad, lost that war. Later, he was assassinated and then his kids. But they called that... Uh, the battle of Karbala in the Shia every year on the 10th of Muharram mourn remembering that the Sunni branch of Islam killed the leader mm. so imagine for 1400 years you have that uh, commemoration of a grievance that happened 1400 years ago we better back up then right yeah yeah because you just started to delineate a very good delineation right which is the difference between Shia and Sunni Islam yeah before we get to uh, the differences between Hamas and Hezbollah mm-hmm. Yeah, let's back up. Explain to us that may not know and those listening, what is the delineation between Sunni and Shia Muslim? So the Shia believe that the only people who can lead the Muslim nation are related to the prophet. The Sunni idea is that you get the leaders, it's like a tribal, the leaders of the tribes agree on someone. And that created the history. Now, in the meantime, as the Muslim army took other nations there was wealth that comes in. I mean, instead of me producing something, I can come take what you have. Yeah. And then I'll say, look, I'm rich. Well, yeah, you took somebody else's. So the Byzantine Empire collapsed, the Persian Empire collapsed, North Africa collapsed, they got all the way to Spain. So your first few hundred years of uh, of the what we call the Arab Empire or the Islamic Empire was invading other cultures, mm. Islamicizing them. Why this is important? Because today's battle in Israel goes to those roots in Islam, there's something we Islamicize the land. When you Islamicize the land, does not matter how many live on that land that are Muslim. The Muslims are the leader. So mm. today, the rules that control Christians in Egypt are designed from Umar, Khalifa Umar, who arrived 640-something to uh, Egypt. So the idea is that it doesn't matter if all Egypt's Christian or Muslim, the leaders will always Muslim. And then they have rules. They tell you, oh, Sharia Islam is very fair. It's, it's not really fair in the sense, maybe fair more to Muslim men, but not for minorities, especially as a Christian or a Jewish person, you have to pay tax to be Christian. The Quran does not define that tax. It's in chapter 9, verse 29. It says they must be killed or 
pay tax. So as a Jewish person, as a Christian, if you pay tax, it doesn't tell you how much of the tax. It, you just have to pay jizya. Um, so that's one issue. The other issue was, historically, there's been rivalries between the Sunni Shia, and that went you know, throughout history. Now, before 1931, we did not have oil in the Middle East. In 1931, we struck oil, and the next decade, now almost uh, almost 100 years, the largest exchange of wealth moved from what we call the West to right now to the North Africa, Middle East, that region, because we can't have enough oil, we, can, we cannot use it, and they keep sending it to us. So now there's wealth in Iran, there's wealth in Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, you know, all these oil countries. So now the Sunni branch wants to exert itself, the Shia branch wants to exert itself. In 79, uh, with, the, with the fall of the Shah, the Islamic revolution was, we want to bring back the glories of the Shia Islam. So the biggest fear for countries that are Sunnis is Iran, because Iran is fueling what we call the Shia uh, revival or the Shia branch. And to help delineate that, so basically, how long had Islam been around before they had that civil war? Just a few decades, right? Not- oh, very, oh, very, yeah, it was, it was very early, from yeah. the inception, you know. Yeah. And, and, and so it's basically like a church split in in yeah. Islam, but with, you know, weapons. And the, there are obviously many nuances and differences, but am I correct that one of the main is their, their eschatological, eschatology? Yeah. Uh, which are I mean, very well-developed ideas of eschatology. And so on, they bo- they're both waiting for the return of the, the, the Mahdi. Yes. Okay. Am I, correct me when I get this wrong. Uh, but in Shia, that Mahdi uh, would be the, the 12th Imam who is still, they think he didn't die. He was just taken to a place and will return one day. Yeah. There were different stories. Supposedly he went in a cave okay. and he didn't come back. So they're still waiting for yeah. his return. And so they're waiting for his return. And then Sunni is waiting for a, 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 Mahdi. the Mahdi. Right. Um, but the point being that both of them have a very conflicting goal of who the Mahdi is. And so it's not, it's not that they hate each other, but, but I, the reason why Saudi Arabia, uh, c- countries that are Sunni uh, are not friends with Iran, right, is, is this, this is a very theocratical ideology with eschatology. And it's, it's, a, it's a holy war even inside of Islam. Is that, am yes. I getting that right? Am I oversimplifying? No, you're... you're uh, you're on the right track, especially that for them, they have to be involved in the Middle East because in the Quran, the biggest enemies for Muslims are the Jews. Yeah. They, they, and they use very bad words among them. Uh, Jewish people are the, even there's a Quranic verse that says, on the last battle, the tree and the rocks will tell Muslims, hey, there's a Jewish person hiding behind me, come kill him. In the hadith, it's so sad. I mean, I'm sharing this stuff. It breaks your heart that there's a religious text that says that. In a book called Blood of the Lambs, a friend of mine who became a Christian, when he was seven, his mom told him a hadith that if he gets to kill a Jewish person, in heaven his hand will turn gold. So everybody meets him in heaven knows that he killed the Jewish person. Wow. And you think, how can you tell a seven-year-old kid that? Now, this is where you and I... Uh, see that there's sin. You, you might say, I don't like my neighbor. You know, I don't know. I don't like him because whatever. But when you don't like people as a whole, the whole people, 
a whole people group, not not whole, just a religion, but a blood DNA, yeah, a bloodline. Yeah. yeah, it's like saying I I, I don't like all Lebanese. What, fine, I'm maybe I might not like one Lebanese, but all of them. That's where evil is, and Christ is amazing. When they wanted him to take sides <laughs> yeah. between the Romans, and he says, "No, everybody will die in their sin." Because I'm the Savior. It's amazing. I love scripture because it shows you how unique our message is. Now, coming to the Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a Shia group uh, supported by Iran. And they were a militia group that became now the biggest, like, as they say, the genies out of the out of the uh, bottle. I mean, he's na- the, the Hezbollah is now the strongest militia in Lebanon. And Lebanon is a small country the size of Connecticut. So they control the country to fight with Israel. Uh, now, there always be a reason. One time, because the Jewish people were there, or the Israelis took one, there's a farm, Sheba farm, they're still fighting. It doesn't matter. There's a war going on. Hamas is, comes from the Sunni idea, which means it's an Islamic uh, Islamic resistance against the Jewish state, and they do not accept uh, the Jewish state, period. So, uh, in 1948, when the is- Israel was announced as a country, there was a battle, there were one of two options. Either we have war with Israel as the Arab nations, or we have peace. So what you're seeing the last uh, 60, 70 years plus, what we're seeing is whose idea is going to win. The peace people who mostly want to argue for a two-state solution, and now we see the Abrahamic Accord really taking place. I mean, so many countries signing up. Uh, We have peace with Jordan. We have peace with Egypt. So that's one side. The other side is the war. The people who says, no, the only way is war, and that flares up. So 2006, it flared up with Hezbollah rob- lobbing rockets. And one of the disasters of that 2006 is that two years later, the head of Hezbollah admitted that he was not prepared. He miscalculated. Mm. And it was a disgrace because people said, what, you're new to the area? <laughs> I'm like, this is your first rodeo? I mean, you know we're at war, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so the, the biggest fear today, and honestly, as a believer, I pray, because the Lebanese paid the price of the Hezbollah adventure in 2006, and it looks like maybe the Gaza people are going to be paying for this adventure of October 7, because, uh, you know, the attack was very vicious. Um, in our culture, they really insulted the family by, you know, what do you mean you killed the grandmother? I mean, you killed, killed children. I mean, you know what I'm saying? In our culture, you know, men fight with men. What do you mean you went and raped the young lady and took hostages? Like, what is yeah, that? Because it wasn't collateral damage. Like they were trying to hit a building and killed somebody that they didn't mean to. They literally were going into retirement centers and killing people and kidnapping grandmas. And like it was an intentional grab with them. And, the videos that have come out recently from their own body cams are, are just like horrifying. And when you think to like Hezbollah, well, let, let me ask this question. Hezbollah, Shia, Hamas, Sunni. Um, is it one of those, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and they, they're both battling for, you know, for the uh, Temple Mount, whatever, for Jerusalem. But eventually, even if one of them won or the other one won, like then they would battle each other, right? I mean, they're yeah. not, look, there's this not a unified approach in that regard. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. The other thing is we understand that the uh, Islamic uh, regime of Iran believes that the only way to deal with Israel is through war. Right. So if that's your goal, uh, you know, 
they're gonna find an excuse to fight anytime. If your goal is peace, fine. There's one more thing is I want to share. When I was when I became a believer, started sharing the gospel with my classmates, and I had uh, five classmates who called themselves a cell. They they felt like you know. So they were talking about hijacking ten planes over the United States, and one of their goals was World Trade Center. And that's why I always tell people what you see happening is not. They've been planning stuff. So this attack, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's a surprise attack. Well, maybe surprise for you and I, maybe, but mm -hmm. they've been planning on this thing. And this morning they had a, uh, like an amphibious attack. They had some people uh, in, um, went under the water, mm -hmm. uh, scuba divers. They were trying to sneak into Israel and the Israeli army got them. So it's not that letting, it wasn't a one shot deal. Yeah, they're you continuing know, they're this. Continuing this, they're continuing uh, sneaking through the border. So they want blood. They want war. And this war is being seen on social media. Well, this is what war looks like. Which, which if, you, if you're Iran, who, I mean, clearly does not care about human rights. I mean, if there's anything that the Ayatollah has proven over and over again is that they're, they're unconcerned with collateral damage. Or, but it, it's it, they're basically outsourcing like, like, here's what it felt like to me, and this is a complete conjecture, that the, uh, the these Hamas warriors, they're financed by many things, mostly Iran. They just become like the patsies for this war to try to draw a wider war uh, against Israel. Um, so Iran doesn't necessarily care whether these Hamas guys live or die. This this serves their greater purpose, it, it seemingly. Um, because if you're in Hamas, like, you know that I mean, you're basically, they're flying in on paragliders. I mean, it looked like a, an opening of a Sylvester Stallone movie that wasn't very good. Um, they, they had, they weren't using, they, they still need high tech. I mean, they're literally just lobbing and hoping to hit something with it. But by doing so, then evoking and trying to draw Israel into yeah. this wider war. With Hezbollah, which we're hearing a lot about because of the North, um, obviously Hamas in the South, the the Palestinian organization now, like with Abbas and West Bank, where do they where do they fit into this? Do you th do you know? So if you notice the rhetoric is that uh, we want to protect the innocent in Gaza, which everybody doesn't want kids to die, but does that mean Hamas will end up on the at the table? Does that mean Hamas is going to represent the Palestinians? Does that mean there's going to be a long war? Would Hezbollah start uh, this morning? They reported they have a hundred thousand. Rockets they can send on Israel. Well, Hezbollah. Hezbollah said, oh, well, well, great, thank you very much. This means, you know, it's like you're already uh, drumming the drum of war. So this is, there's a lot of fear in the area that will escalate. And uh, they always underestimate each other. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the war in 2006 proved to us that not only the Israeli army can fight for more than one week, because that's the rumor. They can only fight for one week. They fought for 34 days. Now, uh, from a human, uh, you know, suffering, the issue is Lebanon is in a crisis in multiple ways, political, social, and economic. They cannot afford Hezbollah making the decision, but we're waiting to hear, is Iran going to make the decision? In the meantime, uh, it looks like this crisis is distracting from other crises in, on the planet, you know, whether it's Ukraine war, whether it's China, whether, you know. So this is the distraction. Now, for us as believers, what happens is we watch the news, and I have, I have in me, I panic, and I forget that Psalm 2 says, it's amazing, right. Psalm 2 it says, the nations plot, but God 
you know, it scoffs. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. God is on the throne and he will, not maybe, he will use every day, every situation. So these bombings on Gaza, it's helping the conversation. Oh, so if you think innocent life in Gaza should be protected, should that be the same for Jewish kids? You know, I don't want Palestinian kids to die, but I don't want Jewish kids to die. You know, you can't justify one uh, one uh, attack over the other. You can't say, well, you know, they've been suffering. It's okay to attack them. Well, if that's the case, they're going to keep attacking each other. That is why an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth will never work. God gave that to prepare the people to something called justice. But when you, came to the New, when you come to the New Testament, you hear of something called grace. The power of grace is no one is deserving. No one is deserving of a, a, a abundant life or salvation. It's a gift that we receive because we have a God who's holy, who's loving. And that's why the the biblical word for love is agape, which means unconditional, a love that loves you without response. And that's not in the Quran. Allah in the Quran loves those who love him and hate those who hate him. Even there's a, Scary Quranic verse says that God will cause people to go astray. While for us, God is, uh, says, come to me, all you have, him, uh, all, all your burden, I'll give you rest. Jesus uh, uh, says, my house is a house of prayer for the nations. It didn't say for one group, for the nations. It's plural. It's yeah. amazing how the scripture is different. I have a question for each of you, actually. It's the same question, but I'm, I would like to hear... Um, each version of this. And that is the importance of the Temple Mount. You mentioned that a minute ago. And that may be part part of a bottom line it's in terms of having control of the Temple Mount at some point. I'd be curious to know, just for those listening, from a, from a Christian perspective, what is the importance of the Temple Mount? And from a Muslim perspective, what is the importance of the Temple Mount for that religion as well? You want to go first? Fine. Um, for, for the Temple Mount, the issue is Muhammad, the Prophet of Islam, never went to Jerusalem. When we look at history, he's never been there. Uh, the story is that he was in a, a Mecca, had a dream that he was riding a creature could be a horse or donkey, but with wings. And that creature took him from Mecca to the mount that where the temple is and, and stepped on this rock. And then from there, he went to the first heaven, then to the seventh heaven, which means whoever wrote the story knew that Paul went to the third heaven. Somebody <laughs> in the heaven number six, Jesus and Moses worship Muhammad. And then seventh heaven, Allah praise over Muhammad and says, you know, I've been waiting for your birth, which is the problem for me is that, what do you mean God was waiting? God knows when Muhammad's going to be born. So this is why the biggest fight and the, 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 the frustration for anyone who studies Islam is if Muhammad was not there, why this fight on this piece? Of, he was never there. It was a dream. So, so this is one of the issues with Islam. Are dreams and visions reality? Are we there? Or we, is just something in our mind? You know? mm-hmm. That's one thing. So the dome was built. However, if you go to Mount Nebo in Jordan, at the bottom of Mount Nebo, there's a town called Madaba, an old, old Orthodox church. 
they, f- they pulled the rugs and stuff. They found there was a mosaic for pilgrims to cross. And there is a design there. So there must have been something there before the Dome of the Rock. So the Dome of the Rock was built. And the biggest fight is that we've Islamized the land. It cannot be taken by anyone else. It's common. I was watching some YouTube clip and this American professor, I love American professors. They, they don't live in the Middle East, you know, they don't live in Gaza. They don't, and, and they have, so he's saying that Israel is a part of co- the, the West colonizing the East. Well, number one, why do you want to leave a place like Portland, Oregon, or New York or Florida and live in Israel? I mean, it just it does not make sense unless you care for your own people. Why, if it's colonizing, you can colonize any other place. You can go, you know, Sicily or the island. So uh, he's he's kind of what do you call it in English? Like he's hitting under the belt, but it's not true. People want to go back because that's their homeland. That's one one issue that we're dealing with. Uh, the struggle is they, uh, eschatologically speaking. They believe that if they can take the Temple Mount, maybe the Mahdi will come. And this is where the issue is. Yeah, because in Shia Islam, if I'm correct, they can hasten the return of the Mahdi through bloodshed. Um, yeah, when you think about the, the biblical worldview from a Christian perspective or from a Jewish perspective or from an Islamic perspective, it, it seems to boil down to not just one nation, not just one city, but one piece of property in that city. They're all in that, but that it zeroes in on it, which is why Hamas called it the Al-Aqsa flood. Like that, mm-hmm. that's the Al-Aqsa mosque. And, um, the, the, you, you can go there now. Like we can, uh, as visitors visit it. Um, but they've got, you know, Islamic guards. So, so like, I can't hold my hand, my wife's hand, like walking outside the courtyard of it. There's uh, guards with sticks and yelling at you, and you know they they're very protective of it. Um, and if the biblical record is correct, which I believe it is, you know, a literal Jesus coming to a literal Jerusalem to a literal temple, you know, mount, then that's it. Now, the, the one difference between say Christianity and Islam that is very different is that. We're not going to hasten his return with bloodshed. We're going to hasten his return with spreading the gospel, with the, the good news of freedom in Christ. That's how we can hasten his return. Uh, but when, it, like right now, like when you go, uh, I know I say right now, I, I'm sure it's way tense. But at any time I've been there, there's it's really tense because you've got this the hardcore Orthodox Jewish. Yes. people and and they are uh just as angry they you know they they you know they they're not as organized and they certainly don't have rockets and grenades whatever but they're hardcore um even against christians like i i've been cursed at by orthodox jews there and on the other hand you've got the you know the the, the islamic presence there and then the christian pilgrims who come and it's like this sort of uh confluence of Humanity, you know, where we we can go to the the Western Wall, still the Wailing Wall, which is always always packed um, and always tense, uh, and it sits right below, right where the actual Al Aqsa mm-hmm. Mosque is. And I mean, one of the things that, if if you're a dispensationalist when it comes to theology, the idea is that 
there, there will be a false peace someday. You know, that's the, the, the pre, uh, premillennial dispensationalist view. Whoever come, if, if someone comes along and says, we can solve that problem and, and bring a peace to the Middle East, which is what it would take, you could see how that person could easily become a leader of the, of the world, right? Like, because everybody from the 60s, from, you know, Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, Menachem Begin and Anwar Sadat to, you know, to Reagan to uh, Clinton, Bush, Bush too. Like, they've all gone to the Middle East tr- and keep stubbing their toe against trying to bring peace. That's the crown jewel of any presidential hopeful, you know, including Trump. Like, they wanted, to, you know, bring peace to the Middle East and and weirdly enough, actually came closer to anybody that I've seen. I mean, way closer than Carter did, you know, back in 78. Uh, but it always comes down to that mosque. I, I remember even Anwar Sadat, who was uh, president of Egypt. You know, one of the things that fell apart in that peace process long, long ago was it always comes back to that that piece of property. Okay. And the Abrahamic Accord uh, the surprised everybody because it did provide peace that like never before after so many years of quietness and it could be and I, I don't know all the details but it could be that this is way that Iran wants to either derail it or at least say we're still here you know trying to get into yeah. the mix yeah because the, none of the people that were sitting at the Abraham Accords table are allies with Iran uh, oh. opposite of it right um, when you say Hezbollah Hamas So these are, actually, that's not true. So in, in Gaza, Hamas is actually the government. But in uh, Lebanon, Hezbollah is like a like a freelance yeah. organization. How are they funding these things? Because it's not like they can start a GoFundMe, right, and ask for donations for, for rockets. But at the same time, is, like, is the Lebanese government fund them? Are they receiving funds from Iran, from outside sources? Well, they've got their, as you, in English, we use the word tentacles. So they're in there. They've been in the in the political arena, and then they took over this big explosion, 2020, August explosion. Uh, many times they're blamed for it. They're saying that it was not our materials or weapons, but there's something that there that was belonging to them. I'm at There were a couple of bays that they controlled in the seaport. Regardless, that there is a big tension in the Lebanese society because we're based on uh, communities of Christian communities, Sunni communities, and Shia communities all living together. And because of the civil war, we end up uh, ad- uh, changing the adding an amendment to the constitution that details government positions based on your religion, mm. which added more to the pressure for our society. We were moving away to become more secular. Now the president has to be Roman Catholic. The prime minister has to be Sunni Muslim. Uh, the speaker of the house have to be Shia Muslim. So that added more to the tension. So you find some Lebanese would probably support Hezbollah just because they're from the same denomination, from the same religion. Mm. But the, the, the outcry now is we don't have time to suffer another 2006 war and they're waiting Uh, for the decision from Iran. Uh, fun, the funds, weapons, everything comes to Hezbollah through certain Lebanese government positions or through Syria. I mean, we're next door to Syria. So whether they move trucks and cannons. And if you notice, watch the news, every couple of days you see that Israelis hit some places in Syria. Well, that's because there's convoys coming in. Well, was it, was it yesterday that uh, the American Air Force bases were hit in Syria? True. 
In Syria or Iraq or yeah. both? So, well, I mean, I, the ones I saw was Syria. In Syria, I think they said 25 injured or killed, but that's because there's still um, militia groups left over from ISIS. Uh, President Macron just announced he would like to enlarge the, um, the coalition against ISIS to include coalition against Hamas. So again, Macron that's going to add that. more. Yeah, Macron said that. And I, wow. I think part of the problem is that they're having anti-Semitic things happen in Europe and they can't afford that. Yeah. Message. Yeah, because France has been a place where they've certainly, I mean, the, uh, the, the comic guy that was murdered. Charlie uh, Hebdo. Hebdo. That was in France, right? Like these, there's radical Islam is definitely tentacles reaching into multiple places throughout Europe. And France seems to be ground zero for, for much of it. 10% of the country is now Muslim. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, can you talk a bit about the the influence of radical Islam into Europe? And are you seeing or are you hearing radical Islam that is creeped into um, North America? And, and, and if so, where? It's, it's always been in there because it comes under the guise of being a devout Muslim. They cannot recruit from somebody who's nominal Muslim. So they say, oh, you're not good Muslim, you need to study the Quran. When you study the Quran, you read chapters like chapter 47, chapter 9 of the Quran, chapter 25, all on jihad, on killing. And the issue with the Quran, it makes a list who to kill. You know, you kill those who are uh, not believe in one God. So that's anybody who's Hindu, Buddhist. And then you kill, the Christians and the Jews are on the list. Uh, now they, uh, they accuse each other. Like I can say a Sunni is not a true Muslim or a Shia is not a true Muslim. But that's why it comes from that guys. The other struggle was because we look at Islam as a religion, not as a political group, many times they're material. For example, I visited a mosque and I asked the guy, hey, can I see what you have in your bookstore uh, in Arabic? So I looked and they had books that were not very, uh, very good books. One on how to assassinate, one was on how to destabilize a community. And I, I think like these were, they were written in Arabic. They were written by, in the late seventies by, uh, by kind of revolutionary people. So I think the, a lot of these countries are reevaluating is Islam a political group or a religion? If it's a religion, fine. Then you deal with religious activities, not political group. The other struggle with the uh, European culture, Europeans are very proud people. So if you're a Frenchman, you know, you're not a German. America mm -hmm. is different. We're melting pot. So you talk to somebody, oh, yeah, I got French and English, and I'm, you know, I have a friend who's Apache, part Apache, part, part German, you know. Uh, I think uh, one, of my, uh, one of my friends, like, he's 90% Irish, 10% Comanche. So mm -hmm. you, you like that idea. You like the melting pot. Well, when you go to Europe, they're very proud. And what happens when you have Muslims move in, they look at the European culture as aloof and not interested and we come from communities where we're always when you have a wedding everybody shows up at the wedding even if you don't know them you come to europe it's very private you know we watch the clock all the time so that's part of it and then they come in and say you know islam uh, gives you morals look at the at the people here are immoral so that adds to their mess uh, now spiritually speaking though uh, you find that many times when they come to countries that are free they want to explore everything, but one of them, they want to explore the scriptures, the Bible. They cannot afford, they cannot have it there. They cannot um, have access to it. So they come to the West and they have access to it. 
And like your friend was telling, I'm reading the Bible, comparing the Quran, I'm thinking, this is what I want. Um, and I was in the state of um, Ohio not too long ago. Uh, go Buckeyes. For yes, those who go like the Bucks. Buckeyes. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm uh, no, not you too, Fouad. But uh, I was, uh, and this young man comes up, shakes my hand. He said, Fouad, I, I started becoming a devout Muslim, born in America from Arab parents. And uh, somebody challenged him to read the Bible. He said, I'll read the Bible to find the mistakes. And that was like three months ago. And he said to him, I'm reading the Bible and everything that I wanted Islam to be, I found in following oh. Jesus. So he decided to follow Jesus and got baptized. And we're talking about three months ago. I mean, God is moving in special ways. And I was sharing with you before we started. I mean, I land in London and I'm talking to the lady. I'm exchanging money. And she immediately says, you know, can you tell me how to become a follower of Jesus? How can I become a Christian? (laughs) (laughs) And I've changed money in every nation. It seems like on the planet. No one's ever asked me that. That's amazing. God is good. (laughs) So she, was she, wait, she was Hindi? She was Hindu. And when I, she said, what do you do? I said, you know, I'm a pastor. We reach out to refugees. And and she said to me, I was raised Hindu, but I always wanted to become a Christian. Can you tell me how? And, you know, my challenge is how easy does it get? They're asking you. Yeah. That's the kind of thing they set up in like uh, witnessing classes. Like, and if they ask you behind the camera, like that, which never happens, except that it, did like that's but th- i think what you're seeing is what we're seeing what uh the clash of cultures yes. whatever it is there is a hunger that is rising up in asia in the middle east in the americas and us being ready for that as believers uh is paramount which is what i love about the crescent project because you guys are training people to have those conversations so that if someone one of our neighbors says I'm curious about this or how how would you even interact with, right? You know, so I love that about what you guys are doing and crescentproject.org is the website, right? One question that I would love to clarify, um, and this is, this is in the weeds, but there's in the, in the, the, uh, in Islam, the Quran is the one that most, almost everybody's heard of the Quran. There's also the Hadith, is there one more as a third, or is it just those two no, that are the well, main ones? The hadith are the stories about Islamic history, mostly about life of Muhammad. So it's, is it like a commentary, or is it like an Old Testament and a New Testament, or is it like it's a... It's a collection of stories. Okay. So when you... I, mean, I just finished another volume. It's hard to read because there's different volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are There is a move now in Islam to get rid of it. Get rid of hadith. Hadith because of some of the stuff that embarrasses Islam, stories. But yeah, because the there's some crazy stuff oh, in the hadith. Oh. Especially on uh, the prophet, yeah. uh, how he treated his wives, how he treated even prisoners so uh, or slaves. You know, he, he owned slave markets, so this is a problem. The, the issue, though, when you do that, then you can't practice Islam because the Quran has commands. So the Quran says a good Muslim woman cover themselves. Okay, well, how does that look like? It's not there. You have to look. It says, aqimus uh, salat means keep the prayer time. Well, what is a prayer time? Well, you have to go to the traditions, how Muhammad prayed, which way he direct faced his. So if you get rid of it, you lose the practical nature of Islam. And Islam tries to remove the historical box to make sure that they stay a universal religion. Mm. Well, when you remove the historical box, it doesn't make sense. Give you an example. It, uh, there's a Quranic verse that Allah gives permission for Muhammad to marry the wife of his son. 
He asked his son to divorce his wife and he married her. Okay, well, that's fine. You can argue it's good or not, but how does that relate to me in 2023? You have to give it a historical box so I can say, oh, that makes sense. Maybe Allah likes Muhammad most, but, but, but they remove it. Well, how does that verse apply to me? While for us in the Bible, we have a historical box. When you read Joshua, it's different than reading the Psalms. You, you know, yeah, I mean, sure, they minister to us in a different, in the same way, but the box is there. When I'm reading Acts, it's not like reading Revelation or or the Gospel of John, which, by the way, was a great uh, series you've done on the Gospel of John because we followed a specific box. We're talking about the Messiah. Why did he come? When you come to Acts of the Apostle, you see how the Holy Spirit is growing the church. Well, they don't have that in Islam, which will add to the problem because they cannot forgive, not only forgive each other, forgive their enemies. Mm. Well, for us as believers, we are required and commanded to be peacemakers. And I remember my pastor saying, peacemaking is not a passive thing. I was a young believer. He said, peacemaking is an action. It's an active thing. All you have to do, take two people fighting. You got to bring them, sit them down. You're right. (laughs) Sit them down and say, we're going to talk this over. So this is the power of the gospel that Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to speak now. I was, um, I was talking to some of our staff. Uh, we praise the Lord. We're doing a lot of ministry, not only training, but we're doing ministry on outreach, on digital, uh, English as second language, refugee ministry, Ramadan outreach. During Ramadan, we give gifts. Um, we believe in building bridges. But I was talking to a couple of our team members and they were like, you know, things are a little bit tense now in the Middle East. Yeah. What do you think? I said, this is the time to say Jesus told us to uh, love our enemies. Pray for the, the pressures we have. Pray for those who persecute us. And uh, it was not a message that was nice. The Romans were not nice people. They crucified people. They, they believed they are superior to other nations. But that was the message that Jesus spoke then. We need to be like our Savior. We are going to speak the same thing. God loves Palestinians. God loves Jewish people. God loves the Israelis. God loves the Lebanese. God loves all people. And they all need to hear that Jesus has come to give them life. Their religion, their politics, it doesn't, it's not going to save them. What saves them is the Messiah, Jesus. And I agree, some people might not like this message, but it's okay. Jesus told us, if they treated me this way, you're my disciples. So we'll share you <laughs> We're going to share it because that's the only hope we have for this planet. Oh, good. Could, could you speak just a little bit to, I guess there's a, a, a small percentage of Palestinian Christians. Yes? Yes. That may sound like a, you know, to, to, to those that are just getting tuned in and those that are just trying to follow what's happening and they're learning all these terms that may seem like a dichotomy to, to many, especially as it's presented uh, on major news networks with Palestinians and Jews and Christians. But can you explain what that, that community of Palestinian Christians looks like? Yeah, um, we're, we're doing a lot of works that I can't share right now for secure reasons. But, um, there's something called the house church movement, and that's growing. Um, when 1948 happened, when the state of Israel was announced, there were people who were Christians. Some were evangelicals because the evangelical church moved into the area in the 1800s, 1840 to be exact. So they were born again Christians. There's also what we call the traditional church. 
most people think that, you know, the gospel just happened. No, it's not true. Jesus died and rose from the dead, 33 AD, if you want to give it a time. So they were what we call the traditional believers there, uh, maybe Orthodox, Catholics, Melkite. There's different sects in Christianity. So they were under the state of Israel. Uh, we have to remember that under the Ottomans, the Ottomans used Sharia Islam in treating the Christians. So in Sharia Islam, Muslims are first-class citizens. Christians and Jews are dhimmis or second-class. So that's how they were treated. In the meantime, as people study the word, there's been a growth in outreach. Some um, come from Muslim background. Now, historically, as Islam entered that area, and everybody's like, you know, was it called Palestine? Was it called Israel? It was called Bilad Sham. Bilad Sham means the land of the Syria. The, the, there was no Lebanon or Jordan. It was the, the Syrian area. And then Iraq was called uh, Ashuria. So Shuria, Ashuria, that's the historical name for the area. It's regions. So uh, the Arab army comes out of Arabia. The first battle is uh, done against uh, Byzantine in a battle called Yarmouk. And once the Byzantine lose, they take all that region. So there were Christians, there were Muslims, there were Christian families that converted to Islam. There were Muslim families that converted to Christianity. So history, they're all living together. And what's so sad is we all look alike. And so how can you tell? Well, they find a way to tell. And then if you're Christian or, or Jewish, you had a second class position. In 48, the establishment of the state of Israel, yeah, sure, we can talk about was it done right, was it done wrong. That, that's beside the point. The point is there was a state called uh, State of Israel. The Arabs wanted to declare war, and then they changed their mind. So those who had left uh, in 1948, the region where the border was, they couldn't come back. So my neighbors, he was an accountant, I think in a bank. His wife was a teacher. They told him, go leave uh, for two weeks and then come back. The, Arab, the Arabs had met to, dis, to declare war in the state of Israel. So they moved to Beirut. They were our neighbors. You know, they couldn't go back. He said, we came with two suitcases. So that's mm-hmm. one of the problems. Some people call it a Nakba. A Nakba means the disaster. Uh, so those who left, they never came back. Uh, and then you had six-day war in the 67. That enlarged the territory. And then 73, uh, Yom Kippur War, that enlarged territory. And then... Uh, they returned the Sinai for the peace treaty with Adad. Which was 78? Uh, 79. 79. And, and uh, in the meantime, this is what I'd like to share with people listening. In the meantime, the gospel is unstoppable. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter. You give, you give me any place in the Middle East and the gospel is going. Now, we haven't reached every place, but it, you can see it. Uh, we're hearing good news from different areas in the Holy Land, also in Jordan, in, the, in Lebanon, Syria, that people are hearing the gospel. One of the things that I've been bantering in my own brain is, so like the Palestinian Christians, which I've met, many actually, um, so they're in this, they're in the middle of the ground level of a geopolitical situation that in many ways they have no control over themselves. Just like us in America, like I, we've got a government. So like my being an American d- is not an unquestionable um, whatever. Like I, I'm an American, I was born here, 
this country has been has been good to me, and there are things worth you know fighting for to maintain. And and at the same time, uh, our current president, our previous president, right? Like I, you know, they don't represent everything that is good and holy. And so, you know, how do you like love your nation? While simultaneously acknowledging that, you know, like our healthcare system is a disaster, you know, and it was only made worse. <laughs> like Ronald Reagan's old saying, right? The, the worst possible news you could hear is I'm with the government. I'm here to help. <laughs> um, so and I would take that lens over on the Israeli side and there are Israelis that, uh, well, clearly in the last year or two, like there's been a major dis- uh, fissure of, 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 of division. Like while we were there last year, there were. Israelis protesting in front of our hotel against uh, the, the government, the current, what's going on. And, um, but, so, but I say that, what's the alternative? Like I, I, I hear guys like Shane Claiborne just mentally vomiting all over Twitter with how evil Israel is. And, but there's no, like, he has nothing to say about what to, do, what to do about it. How do you negotiate with Hamas? Like how yeah. do you? How do you negotiate with Hamas when Hamas won't even negotiate with uh, with Abbas in the West Bank? Like, how do you like there's so it's like a it feels like every election we have, it's like a, the lesser of evils. We always hear that saying. And and it really is true. Like, I mean, I can't remember an election where I've been like, ah, that's my guy or girl, like 100 percent. So it's like, what are the policies that I can that, that for the most part represent who we are? Uh, but my allegiance is not uh to my government, my allegiance is to Jesus. And taking that to, into that Palestinian world, they have legitimate problems, legitimate grievances. Yep. But nobody has been able to, because I'm old enough to remember buses blowing up in front of cafes in Jerusalem, old enough to remember uh, terrorist assaults, and old enough to remember 2006, right, with Hezbollah, or with the Hamas and what was happening during that war. And at some point, how do you defend your nation? Because like a lot of people you know, are very quick to point out that Israel has built this blockade around Gaza without acknowledging that the southern border of Gaza is Egypt. And Egypt has had the same. They don't want tunnels. They don't want terrorism. They, you know, they're, so, you know, yes, we don't want the death of children. I mean, I feel like that should go without being said, but it is, it, I need to say it. And I, I don't have a plan B for how do you take out Hamas because if you if you don't stop Hamas then that virus just spreads like you have to at some point and the collateral damage of that is is going to be hard to watch as believers um, and it I, I, I can't even imagine how hard it is to watch for for God you know to look on the world and uh, but it's the it is the logical conclusion of evil in a Genesis 3 world there's no such thing as once as a solution that doesn't cause more problems, which is why one day the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus, like he'll come back and we'll be, uh, and he's not going to come back and rule with anger and but, but with love. Right. So we look forward to that day when the government is on his shoulders. Cause we can look thousands of years of human history and say, we tried it all the ways we yep. tried every way and none of it worked. You're perfect. You know, righteous and true are your judgments. That's what we long for and, and hope for. And, if Jesus were to return right now and we didn't even get to finish this podcast, awesome. That'd be perfect. But until then, you know, our love for the, our enemies is, is, is not only required by Jesus, like some burden, some command. 
it's actually a gift to us as well to say, I'm going to love my neighbor because hatred is not going to get me anywhere. I love what you said about that's why an eye for an eye doesn't work. He, you know, it's like you read the Beatitudes and if you read the Beatitudes and say, oh, that's beautiful, you're not reading it right. Because <laughs> what you should say is the Beatitudes save me from the Beatitudes because Jesus is saying that the level of perfection is so high. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? The, the, these are things we can aspire for, but we'll never achieve perfectly. So we have to be saved by Christ himself because our sin will never uh, allow us to complete the Beatitudes, right? Um so we're getting right at the hour mark here. Um, how should Christians respond in this current climate? There are people listening on their podcast right now. They're watching on YouTube. They're sitting in front of a computer. They're tempted to type something into their social media thing. What advice for you as a follower of Jesus, first and foremost, a father, you know, a husband, a friend, what advice do you have for us as Western Christians specifically, but Christians in general. Thank you for the opportunity to share. First thing, I always pray for my heart that I have God's love because everything we look around us will not help us. And uh, uh, it's okay to have your opinion, absolutely. You can have your opinion, who's right, who's wrong, what we should do with Hamas, what should we not do with Hamas. But at the end of the day, Lord, give me your heart see people's heart. The second thing I want to ask is that we pray for the church, the believers. Some of those believers are from Muslim background. Some are from nominal Christian background. Some of the believers are from Jewish background. And one of the beautiful testimonies where there was a foot washing service where uh, the Arab Christians washed the Jewish Christians' feet and then vice versa. Well, this is the power of the gospel. You want peace? Here, let's change the ideology instead of sitting who can kill better and who can maim better. So please pray for the believers to multiply. And in the war in Lebanon, we learned it does not matter the bombs when God is protecting you. I wish we had another hour share with you the areas we were in where the bombs are flying and God protected the service, God protected the believers. So pray for our heart, pray for the believers. And then really this is something... Yes, pray for peace, but I want us to pray it this way. Lord, use this war to create an awakening. The Roman Empire came in and they were ruling with metal, with steel, you know, killing people. And that's where the church was birthed at a time where nobody believed that 11 disciples. Well, it was the power of Jesus who says till now it's the same. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations. And then the end will come. So we know God's timetable. God's timetable is when the nation's here. So pray that this will open the minds of, of people. I was in a taxi cab in, in Berlin, Germany, uh, last, uh, last Saturday. Uh, so Yeah, yeah, Saturday, 4 o'clock in the morning. My, my driver was from Syria. He ran away through Hungary, and he was telling me his story. He, has, he just wants peace. He said to me, I'm tired of all this. I just want peace. And he's hungry to know, can you receive peace? So pray for our heart, pray for the believers who are there, that they'll multiply, and then say, Lord, use this for the gospel to spread. It's good. Vlad, thank you. Thank you for your, your insight. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for, um, for what you and your ministry partners are doing. It's incredible. 
I mean, what is what what your organization is doing to further the gospel to uh, across the world, especially um, to to those countries and to those areas uh, that are uh, led by Islam and, and the Muslim communities, and, and the gospel and the truth that you're bringing to those areas are incredible. N- not to mention here in Nashville. Specifically, yeah. I mean, we can talk about all the things that are happening in Europe and the Middle East, but there's a community of uh, there's a there's a Muslim community here in Nashville. Then you guys are um, giving out resources and providing um, training events for for those living here in in Middle Tennessee to be able to minister to their neighbors, and and that's incredible. Crescentproject.org or CP Hope. CPHope.org is faster to remember. CPHope.org. Yes. And if you if you want to learn more about this, and I encourage you to uh, to visit those websites, visit that website, CPHope.org. There's all kinds of resources there that you can read about and learn about. And uh, if you're tuning in for the first time here and you've, you've come across this, uh, check out ConduitChurch.com, um, ConduitMission.org. These are uh, resources as well that explain what it is we're doing here at Conduit in Franklin, Tennessee. And if you are watching this as we've just launched our podcast on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe so that you can be aware of the next episodes that come out and maybe go back and listen to previous ones as we try to bring hope uh, and, and talk about the truth of the gospel. Thank you so much for joining us. 